welcome to the e-commerce fuel podcast the show dedicated to helping high six and seven figure entrepreneurs build amazing online companies and incredible lives i'm your host and fellow e-commerce entrepreneur andrew udary Hey guys, Andrew here, and welcome to the e-commerce field podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today on the show, joined by Ian Schoen from the Tropical MBA blog and podcast. Uh, he's also uh, one of the men behind the Dynamite Circle, which is a private community for location-independent entrepreneurs. And really always enjoy talking with Ian. And our conversation today covers a lot of different topics. We talk about his recent business sale. Uh, we talk about how to invest money. Both of those topics are a couple episodes that really enjoyed from from his podcast recently. We kind of we uh, get into those. And then finally, talk about running private communities. We both run private communities for entrepreneurs and talk about some of the challenges, some of the, the things we really enjoy, get a little bit inside baseball on that. So not e-commerce specific per se, but if you're in the community or uh, it's something that you're interested in, hopefully it's something that you enjoy. And you and uh, your partner, Dan, recently sold the business. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Are you you, uh, you sick of talking about this yet? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not actually. <laughs> what, uh, what caused you guys to sell? Oh, man. Well, I, I think essentially what happened is uh, we, we started the business in 2008. At the time, I think I was like 25, 26 years old. And you know, that was a long time ago. I feel like I'm, I'm a different person than I was then. You know, I felt like I wanted different things out of, out of my business and out of my life. And uh, we just kind of reached an interesting point. I think one of the, the feelings, one of the emotions that I had at the time when we decided to sell was like, uh, it's all been like high fives and good times. Essentially, I mean, there was like some growing pains and whatnot, but we never missed payroll. There was always plenty of cash flow. It was just really good times. And I thought, let's just leave this on a high note because I'm not super passionate about the business anymore. And I don't want to fake it <laughs> to my employees anymore that I'm, you know, into this business. So let's just uh, leave it on a high note. And you said, you know, you said you wanted different things out of your life and your business. What specifically? were you looking for in terms of change, things that uh, the business wasn't fulfilling, apart from the passion aspect and selling at the top, which makes a lot of sense. What, other, what was that underlying thing you kind of alluded to? I think just change in general. You know, like I said, I, I mean, I started the business when I was like in my mid-20s and quite some time had gone by. So I just wanted to see kind of what other options were out there. You know, I, I felt like I had like conquered that business in a way, um, or at least a skill set. And for me, and I think a lot of small business owners... That's kind of what you do, right? Because you know, we were selling like hospitality equipment. And although I was passionate about that in the beginning, it became more about the process of doing business. So through the process, learned SEO, learned AdWords, learned how to manufacture products in China, learned how to build a team of 15. So kind of all these things that that I wanted to learn in that business, I learned. And I just didn't feel like there was much more for me to learn in that environment. And I just felt like there was probably a better place for me to learn new skills. Was it a pretty easy decision to sell? Obviously, you had some pretty strong, compelling reasons. But I know in chatting with, with people and from my own experience, on one hand, sometimes you got great reasons to sell and it makes a lot of sense logically. But looking at it from, like, from a financial point of view and you run the numbers and you think, where in the world am I going to kind of get this return on a 2, 3x ballpark multiple? There's almost nowhere. Was that tough? Was it a decision you really had to, to wrestle with or not so much? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, when you say you can't get those kinds of returns anywhere, 
except for a small business, I, I wholeheartedly ag- agree with that, but it's certainly not a passive investment. So considering the fact that, you know, in most small businesses, if you're in my position, you're going to have to be the CEO or, or somebody that actually has to show up at some point and make decisions. I think with most companies that are our size, you know, less than 50 employees under $10 million, you know, I, I've, I viewed it as like, I'm going to have to keep showing up. So I'm going to have to keep kind of managing this investment. So it was easy in the in the sense that I thought, hey, here's an opportunity for me to kind of cash out and not have to show up for the next two to five years. But it was hard in that I knew <laughs> the process was going to be difficult and it was not going to just be um, you know, a, a three-month transition period. You and, and Dan did a great episode on what you guys learned selling the business. And I won't probably rehash everything here on this episode. We'll link up over to it. But in a nutshell... Easy process, difficult process. And what was the biggest thing you learned going through the sale? Uh, difficult process, I'd say for sure. Um, I, I thought it was going to take less time than it did. I think, gosh, start to finish, it was like a little bit over a year from when we decided to sell the business to when the business actually sold. I was pretty naive about that. I mean, I, I thought it would take you know several months, but I didn't realize it was going to take that long. But it gave us an opportunity to get our story straight. I mean, we talked to probably five potential buyers through the process. And so that was a very interesting experience for me. You know, that was essentially the largest sale that I had ever made. You know, you make these little sales in your business along the way to your clients and whatnot, but this is the big kahuna, you know? Yeah. The process was um, uh, definitely a learning experience. I'm glad that we went through it. And I think part of me wanted to go through that experience, like just to fulfill the title of entrepreneur, you know, like somewhere inside of me, I was like, I'm not an entrepreneur if I can't sell my business. And so I, I feel like I fulfilled that. And, and looking back on it, I'm like 100% confident it was the right decision. You look at the cash flows and yeah, I miss that right on a monthly basis. But I, I don't miss this feeling. I mean, we had an e-commerce business, Andrew, which obviously you and your audience are very familiar with. On the first of the month, the counter resets, right? So it's like zero. And every month you got to get up to whatever your revenue goals are. And for us, you know, we had full-time employees, we had overhead, everything. So it, it wasn't just like, we want to get to these numbers, like we have to get to these numbers. And I think that that was a, a pretty big stress in my life was making sure that we hit those numbers. And so, I, you know, I don't have that in my life anymore and I, I don't miss it at all, actually. Speaking of, you know, you talked about passive investments again, you guys had a great episode recently, uh, on you know, how do you invest your money? We'll link up to that one as well over on your, your podcast. And um, how have your thoughts changed on that? I know, you know we talked about this. I feel like last year we had a discussion about like, what do you do with money, with just cash? Because the options were, were seemingly so terrible. You know, The last couple of weeks, I had a discussion with someone who just sold their business along the same lines. I feel like I have this discussion like every you know, month or two. How have your thoughts changed on that in terms of passive investments? What have you been investing in or what are you looking to invest in? Well, this house is obviously one thing. In terms of other investments, I'm, I'm looking for businesses to buy. I'm on probably all the usual suspects lists. So you know, when a business comes out, I take a look <laughs> at it. And in terms of passive investments, you know, I haven't really identified too many. I think for me, my strategy is basically this, to keep cash in the bank for when opportunities arise. So in my limited career, I've seen and been around people that have much more experience than I do. And they seem to see the biggest upside from being able to buy low. 
So when the market takes a dump, which I feel confident it will in the next couple of years, maybe even after the election, I think that there's going to be some opportunities that pop up. And I want to be ready for that. You know, I want to be able to swoop in when people are in trouble and uh, leverage my cash. So in terms of like what I'm doing right now, <laughs> I really haven't bought much except for this house after the sale because I'm waiting for cash to be the best position. And unfortunately right now, Andrew, as you know, it really isn't yet um, with interest rates and whatnot being so low. But I think in the next couple of years, we might see that change. Do you, I mean, you mentioned the DC, we'll get into the DC in a minute, very much about location independence, freedom, and uh, also to an extent, you know, kind of being diversified across different nations, or at least having kind of a global business or taking advantage of, of kind of global infrastructure in countries. Have you moved any money offshore either for tax reasons or just to, you know, protect against like sovereignty risk? Yeah, we have a company that's an offshore company. And yeah, I have some funds over there. And you know, it's not so much a hedge on currencies or anything like that, but it's an option. So basically, we have a corporation over in uh, in Hong Kong. And the way that it's structured, essentially, you can keep your profits offshore. And so, as you know, if you have a corporation in the United States, whatever you make that year in that corporation, you're taxed on that year. And so, it's, a, it's more of a strategy, I guess I, I would say, in terms of being able to earn the profits when you're ready to earn the profits. So last year, made a bunch of money with the sale of the business. You don't necessarily want to make more money, right? Because you're already in a high tax bracket. So it gives you that flexibility and freedom to kind of earn that money in distributions or salary when you see fit, if that makes sense. So you don't have to pay tax on it until you distribute the money that the business has to yourself personally, kind of you know, in the US more or less. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And so that's just a strategy. And, you know, I think moving forward, these offshore corporations can afford you those kinds of benefits, but it doesn't come without headache. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of the regulations and whatnot to be in compliance with the United States, that's all, all very important. And you have to stay on top of that. And it costs a lot of money to do that, you know? Um, And so, you know, I, I think, you really have to ask yourself, is, is the upside worth it? And is the upside worth it in your situation? You know, there's been some years for me where it's been worth it. There's been other years where it hasn't. Yeah, you've got a, the opportunity to chat with a lot of successful entrepreneurs in your community and, and, and elsewhere. Have you met anyone that you feel like has done a really good job in the stock market with passive, passive investments? Uh, and by a really good job, I mean like, let's say they've earned or built the majority of their wealth through investments. And obviously we're a little bit biased because I mean, you know, we're, yeah. we're in our thirties. Uh, this is going to be something that's skewed much more towards people that the older you are, the longer you have for those, those gains to kind of compound. But can you think of anybody that, that you feel like would say, yes, the stock market, passive investments, index funds have been a game changer for me? No, absolutely not. I, I mean, I know a lot of people that have a million dollars in the market and they make, you know, somewhere between 70 and a hundred thousand uh, dollars recently off that money in the market. And so that's enough for them to sustain their lifestyle. But they didn't make that money in the market. They made it through small businesses and things like that. And then they put it in the market. And now it's a way for them to passively fuel part of their lifestyle. And I think that that's, a, that's, that's valid. you know. But no, I don't know anybody... Well, with the exception of, of, of one friend that, that day traded for a year and made a bunch of money. But uh, absolutely not sustainable. I think if you asked him, <laughs> uh, you know, most of the people are, are that I know have money in the market, and it's not a large percentage of their net worth. Is that your experience as well? 
Yeah, I just haven't. I mean, it's funny because you feel, because I come from the financial industry and, you know, the area where people say, hey, you know, the financial industry, you know, a guy who's like taught Dave Ramsey the classes. And so I, I believe in, in personal responsibility with finance and investing well. But I think, I think this idea of you can get rich, just wildly rich by, you know, saving $100 a month and putting it in an index fund. And by the time you're 50, you'll have, you know, $5 million. Uh, I think the I think the calculations on that a lot of times people don't get into the nuances and the things that kind of the assumptions that are not practical at all and uh, don't don't track with reality. So no, I I haven't I haven't met anyone who's become wildly successful, especially you know in their thirties or forties just by investing. No, yeah, it's interesting. We um we did an interview with uh, Mr. Money Mustache, who's one of my favorite bloggers, and that's going to be going live pretty soon. And we talked to him about some of these questions as well. And I, I do think it's interesting because one of the things that gets preached in that community is living frugally and putting money into the stock market and watching it grow and retiring early. And I think that that's um, it is a it is a strategy that works, but I do not think that you will get rich doing that. And it's not everybody's goal to get rich, certainly. And I think it's a lot of people's goals to just simply live comfortably. And I think that you can absolutely do that with those methods. But I, I have not seen anyone reach a large, large net worth through investing like that. I'm going to be a little bit selfish here. This may not be as riveting to most people listening as you know maybe me and, and uh, potentially you. But uh, since I got you on, I'm going to subject people to it. And I want to talk about community building because obviously we both run communities. Yours is called the, the Dynamite Circle. And just for people who might not be familiar with, I've been a member for, for a long time. Can you give just a super, super fast overview of what the community is? and what its focus is? Yeah. So the Dynamite Circle is focused on location-independent entrepreneurs, people that are building small businesses around the globe, leveraging things like foreign corporations and doing things that you guys are doing in your community, Andrew. So a lot of our members have e-commerce businesses. Some of them have information product businesses. But what I think bonds us all together is that we're interested in travel, lifestyle, and business. And it kind of depends who you ask which order is the most important. (laughs) (laughs) What's been the biggest challenge with running the DC and as you've grown? Like for us, for example, something we've really run into this last year, especially is we've gotten a little bit bigger, is keeping our quality of our members high and especially the intimacy high as you grow. Like one of the reasons I think members join that we've heard is they they like that sense of community, like they like the sense of being able to connect personally with people. And sometimes like the the goals of the community, especially if you look at it through a business lens, you know grow as quickly as you can, generate the most revenue, sometimes are like diametrically opposed with what makes a community great. You know, community yeah. in, inherently is based on close, intimate relationships and not growing so big that you lose your your identity. So that's been something that we've really been struggling with and thinking through trying to to make sure we don't let that ultimately get us in the end and make sure that's something we're addressing. Is that something you guys have faced as well? Or what's been some of the challenges for you as you've grown it? I think that you're absolutely right there. So while I was building the e-commerce business that we sold, my business partner, Dan, had started to build the Dynamite Circle. And now we kind of work a little bit more closely on on the Dynamite Circle because that's the business that we still have. But the ideals are almost diametrically opposed, like you said. So, you know, it's like if you can envision like me looking over the cubicle at Dan being like, dude, why aren't you growing 120% like we are over here at the e-commerce business? And he's like, chill, bro. This is all about community and kumbaya. And he's right, you know? And so it took it took me a while to kind of understand that this isn't this isn't the same machine that like an e-commerce business would be. It is more about the relationships and the personal interactions. 
you know, and if if I'm being honest about that business, you know, the reason that we started it was pretty selfish. It was basically so we can hang out with like-minded people and friends and talk about business. It's only kind of recently, I'd say in the last couple of years that we started charging people for the membership. And of course, now, you know, there's people in the community that I don't know because it's grown to be about that size. But in the beginning, like I knew everybody and we would go on vacations together and whatnot. But yeah, it's gotten to the point now where there's people in there that I don't know. So I guess to, to answer your question, you know, the biggest challenge I think for us in that community, yeah, is keeping our eye on the ball in terms of what our core values are. And then I'd say for in terms of like fulfilling what the members need, you know, members come into that community at different phases of their life and their business. And big, big thing that we have to work on is how, how do you keep them through whatever the next cycle in their life or their business is? So to give you an example, I think it's like very common for someone to say like, hey, I just moved to Austin. You know, we have an Austin chapter. I'd really like to meet like-minded entrepreneurs or I'm here for the summer. And so they go to a couple of meetups, they interact in the forum, everything's cool. And then they kind of reach a new level in their life or their business. And you have to make sure, I think, that you can continue to track with them and that the product continues to be useful to them. What's the biggest thing you found that's most impactful for bringing the community together in terms of building that community and intimacy? Has it been in-person events for you or something else? Well, for me personally, I mean, that's that's my favorite thing about the community is the in-person events. I really get a lot of value out of that. But I think one of the things that we hear from our members that's very important is the mastermind groups. And so we basically help facilitate masterminds for our members. Uh, we'll put them in a, in a group. Um, if they want to start a group, they can start a group as well. And that's been pretty profound for a lot of different members, I think, is having those mastermind groups. You know, in terms of the forums, and I'd like to hear your take on this too, Andrew, because, you know, behind the scenes, we kind of uh, exchange information <laughs> on how to run <laughs> these forums and best policies and things like that. But the, I think the forums are really the most difficult aspect of this for a bunch of different reasons. I think one of the different issues that we're running into these days is just like moderation policies, you know, just having like a strong opinion about the way things should go. Because I think at times you can you can get some members that kind of go off the rails, you know? And so it's like, how do you deal with these people? Because they can really have an impact on the whole community and kind of the whole community's mindset, right? And so I think that you have to, you have to have good moderation policy. And so that's one of the things that we're working on lately is, is trying to figure out not just how to deal with like rogue members, but how to create an environment that everyone understands kind of the rules. Because when you have over a thousand members, you know, it gets difficult. You can't just like read a, like a, a terms of service or something like that. You have to get your members, I think, to kind of embody the vibe of what's going on. So how do you guys deal with that? Yeah, it's it's probably one of the biggest like like you said, the biggest things that we we think a lot about and 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 uh, in some cases struggle with. So I think it's for us the biggest rule that we have in the community by far is just give as much as you get because if everyone comes in and provides as much value as they ask for, then then things work great. And I think the, the, what happens in a, in a community of form, especially where things break down, is you either one have people that come in that just aren't a good fit personality wise or culture wise and those are some of the hardest because it's easy to spot but it's hard to explain and sometimes it's especially hard to explain to the person who's who's in there 
So those those can be really difficult situations. Do you just kick them out? It depends on what what's going on. Usually you try to have a conversation and, and tell them why what they're doing isn't a good fit for the, the personality or the culture or the values of the community. And then, yeah, but we've kicked out lots of people that either just ask without you know, without ceasing and never give anything back, or maybe they're really snarky, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not the kind of member we want in the community. We've definitely kicked out lots of people for those reasons. Interesting. And and uh, I'd love to kick some people out. Tell me, tell me a little bit about the, the, <laughs> the backlash of that. <laughs> I think it depends on how you do it. I, I think you need to be transparent about it. On one hand, the last thing you want to do is have these rumors running around that you're this the Stalinistic dictator who just runs your community with an iron fist. But I think the only thing worse than that is not having the backbone to remove people who aren't a good fit because everyone notices it, right? So the backlash often from the individual member is a lot of times you get really, really upset members who who are you know very upset with you. Um, but I think that's part of just maintaining the integrity of a community. So, and again, it varies for each member why or why they may or may not be a good fit. But Unfortunately, I think it's part of the dirty, you know, one of the, one of the things that's just hard about running a community. So now I'm going to ask you some selfish questions because I want to know. Sure. Uh, on your podcast. So you basically made a distinction between vendors and members, and I think service providers too, or something like that. So tell me a little bit about the distinction between the groups and how they all interact. About a year ago, before then, we had we had pretty much everybody in the community, anyone who was e-commerce related, either had a store that fit the guidelines, or was even maybe they worked for a shopping cart or as a as a consultant with an agency, and everyone could become a member. And we started running into a couple problems. On one side, people felt a little reluctant to chat about, let's say, you know, shopping cart X when they knew that some of the team members, people who worked for shopping cart X, were in the forum, so they felt like they couldn't be candid. And we also realized that. A lot of times the incentives between some of the consultants and some of the store owners were very different. And so we made the tough decision to really limit the community to just store owners, only store owners. So we stopped letting service providers in, uh, consultants. We grandfathered everyone else that had been in, but we stopped letting new consultants in. And it sounds harsh, but we pretty much booted out all the people who were a platform provider, people who worked for a shopping cart or a major SaaS app to make sure we had a, a very private environment where people could talk candidly. So it's tough. I mean, we lost a lot of great members that, you know, weren't causing any problems and adding value. And, you know, a lot of people that were subscribers, we, we lost that revenue. But I think long term, it was in the best interest of the of the community, which is why we did it. I just got a couple more questions for you here, Andrew. <laughs> no, this is great. It, yeah, it I talk about this all day. We're probably losing like two thirds of the listeners, but that's fine. I'll, I love chatting about it. In terms of uh, in terms of the service providers, do you charge them differently than you do the members? We don't. We we've. I mean, we could, but we but we haven't traditionally, and especially since we're bringing almost no new service providers in, um, we don't. We just we just it's the same. Okay, but you could make a very strong case that you know, hey, service providers that come in, they they're probably are willing to pay more because it could potentially be a source of leads for them if they, you know, if they're able to do it tactfully. Awesome. Yeah, and it's it's kind of going back to what you mentioned about still removing members. One thing that we've kind of looked at recently is trying to come up with some quality guidelines behind the scenes uh, on our side, on Laura and my side, where we can point to to really get a sense of if people are just taking, taking, taking versus you know giving in in equal form and. That's the other thing is it's it's a hard thing to measure and it's a hard thing to track, but we've kind of developed some internal quantitative metrics that help us be able to look at those things and identify people. And it's, again, it sounds kind of Big Brother-esque and it's not something we apply to everybody, but more than anything, it's if you notice something at a gut level where you say, hey, this this just, this member doesn't seem to be really getting the sense of the community and they're asking for a lot more than they're giving, 
kind of metrics we can use to look at to quantitatively say, well, is that the case? And be able to talk to them about that. So it's it's tough. And at the end of the day, like you're dealing with people and relationships and having to have hard conversations. But I think ultimately it's to keep something strong. It's it's something you got to do, but it's not easy. Yeah, it's very easy to say, uh, oh, there's just like, you know, just have everybody interact as they would interact. Well, people are can be to each other and uh, you have to have rules around that. You know, when you have a thousand people plus in a group, it really behooves everybody, I think, to have rules. But yeah, setting these rules is just so, it can feel so arbitrary, as you oh, know. Yeah. And uh, trying to explain to people in the mass why, why you're doing it and on an individual level why you're doing it. And so it's interesting to hear that you guys have like an internal process. So like X member is a valuable member to the community because they fit this criteria is what I'm hearing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, if there's a member that maybe is just not in line with your community metrics or, or we, not metrics is a terrible word, your community philosophy and, and culture, being able to, to point to some specific things and say, say, why not? So, I mean, I think by the end of the day, let people know what the expectations are, do it gently and graciously. But if it doesn't work out, don't be afraid to politely tell them it's not a good fit. We're working on that part. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's fine. Just, just, just have, just hire a hitman. I joke with Laura. I'm like, Laura, you're my hit woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's that, what's coming up for, for you guys over at the, the DC the next year or two? So we've got an event coming up in uh, Barcelona, and I think it's it's pretty much filled up, which is uh, pretty cool. So we try and do an event in Europe every year, and then we do our big bash in uh, Bangkok in October. And so you know, those are kind of the two dates on my calendar that I look forward to. Looking forward to that. And also, we are moving to a new platform, thanks to you, which has been pretty exciting. Nice. And you guys, it's, you're going over to Vanilla Forums from yeah. Ning, right? We're going over to Vanilla Forums. And uh, we've been working with a, a developer. And that's been quite the process to kind of get it to look the way that we want it to look. But man, in terms of like uh, functionality, I think it's going to be great. You know, we were on uh, Ning. And of course, they haven't updated Ning in the last like 10 years. And we've been kind of promising our members this for a long time. And I, I feel bad, but it, it was such a process to identify a platform that I think is going to be suitable to the community and then to basically custom build a bunch of it to fit our needs. So we will be launching on that platform in the next week and a half. So our team is uh, quite busy trying to figure out all that. Oh, I don't envy you right now. I, uh, I'm excited to see how it rolls out. And uh, it's... yeah. I- Vanilla has been, been a good platform. It'll be fun to see what you guys have done with it and, and see it hit live. Good luck with the launch. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. If you haven't heard of uh, Ian and Dan's community, it's, uh, again, the Dynamite Circle, been a member for, for a number of years. Uh, great community, especially if, like like Ian mentioned, you're, you're interested in travel, entrepreneurship, location independence, which is a goldmine of, of discussions and, and uh, information on that. So dynamitecircle.com, uh, you can read... Uh, Ian's blog and the podcast that uh, he and Dan co-host over at tropicalmba.com. Ian, it's always a lot of fun catching up with you and appreciate you taking the time. And once again, congrats on a successful business. I know that uh, it takes a lot, uh, a ton of time to pull off. So absolutely, man. I'm just, uh, I'm looking for that. I'm retired hat right now. I've just been going from goodwill to goodwill (laughs) and uh, I haven't found it yet. So if you find one out there in Montana, let me know, please. Hey man, I'm always, always scrounging around the goodwill. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you. Thanks, buddy. Want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs? Join us in the e-commerce fuel private community. It's our tight-knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales. You can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com.
Thanks so much to our podcast producer, Laura Serena, for all of her hard work in making this show possible. And to you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. That'll do it for this week. But looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.